see if this oh there we go we're set all right we'll go ahead and get started with prayer and then we will we will dig in heavenly father it is a privilege it's a humbling and it's a serious thing to open up your word to study to proclaim to determine and be guided by the God of the universe in the way to go. Lord, we're going to be looking at passages today that point to things about binding and loosing, about authority giving to churches, local churches even, that um, you are recognizing even in heaven. We're even going to be talking about serious things like sin and people getting kicked out of churches. And um, Lord, these are things that make us feel uncomfortable, and they should, because they're a result of sin. And Lord, we are sinners. So Heavenly Father, guide us today. Give us wisdom today. And um, give us understanding from your word. And we ask this, not in some small name, but we ask this in the name of Almighty Jesus, that you work and act. And we are thankful. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, Bradley, can you unplug that, uh, that thing there? Oh, it is. We're already a minute and 28 seconds in. They get a prayer as well. All right. Um, about our topic today is church discipline. About uh, 10 years ago, I'd been involved with a couple church discipline things as an assistant pastor. And about 10 years ago, I had the first church discipline circumstance as a uh, as the lead pastor of a church actually at that time i was the only pastor as we were working towards a plurality of of elders and uh i remember i was driving in a pickup with a guy and uh he was a he was a pretty tough guy and uh we were having to discuss um church discipline with his daughter and um he was really mad, and uh, I will definitely say he was tougher than I was. And uh, he said, I'm super ticked. He said some other things too, but he said, I'm sort of driving in my pickup, and so, you know, I have to shift and hold the wheel. And uh, he said, and he was, he was a, a good friend of mine, and he said, uh, I'm super ticked at you. I told my wife, we're going to talk, and if, if it doesn't go well, I'm going to hit you in the face. And I'm right there. And I said, uh, well, you, I said, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> but I'm driving right now, and uh, I hate this. And I said to him, I, I hate this. I hate this conversation. I hate having to talk about this circumstance. I hate hearing the details of what your daughter's going through. But I said, man, we stand before God. I I can't just pick and choose what what we do here and he kind of calmed down some and he said I can understand you there and uh, so, some good things happened but good things didn't happen with his daughter and uh, it was messy and it stayed messy and it didn't get pretty and um, it was frustrating for me because I'm I'm a person that likes to make I like to see things fixed I don't like to come home and know that the lawnmower's broken and like the door's hanging off this and no big deal, I'll get it next year. That's not my personality. 
and even more so with people, uh, whether it's working with teenagers, working in the church. Um, I don't very naturally look out, you know, let's say Jeff's in some deep sin. I don't naturally look out and say, ah, you know, one out of 20 ain't bad. It, it, it gnaws at me pretty hard. And so church discipline is, is, is a difficult thing for me, and I think it should be a difficult thing for Christians. But I want to kind of talk through it today and um, be reminded again, for many of us, we have, we have good clarity on what the Bible teaches on it. For some of us, we don't. And so I, but I want to just review. And I want to say this. Why did, why did this man get so mad at me? Why was he so frustrated or upset to the point of saying, you know, I'm going to hit you in the face? Why, what, what was going on with there? Yeah. You were speaking the truth to him. Okay, okay. I could say that. Speaking truth. And he didn't like it. And the darkness doesn't like the light, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, that, I think that's part of it. What else? What other reasons might he have gotten so upset? He didn't fix it. Yeah. What else? I think he would be embarrassed. Yeah. Because you're having to tell him how he should be doing something that he probably knows yeah. about as sort of revealing something about him and his way of see. I could agree with that. Anything else? How about even specific to his daughter? He thought church discipline would do what? Because I think these are all really true. But what do you think? So he's thinking about his daughter, and he thinks if she, if church people say you can't be part of us anymore, is she going to turn from her wicked ways? Just drop her further away. Yeah. Yeah, I think he thought it's going to drive my daughter away. It's going to unsave her. Yeah, yeah. Actually, this is an interesting one. As we dug deeper into this, and we ended up having to deal with a previous church said, well, she never left her membership here, and it was her grandfather was the pastor. It was, it was messy and messy and messy, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, some of the messiness. But um, the grandmother told me, this girl made a profession. Of, this girl got saved at six years old, and if this goes through, uh, I'm so and here she said this. I'm so glad she came to Christ as a child because I don't think she'd ever come to a Christ now. So we're so glad that she came to became a Christian as a kid. This girl would openly say, "I don't believe in God. I want to live anti-God lifestyle. I don't believe any of it." And the grandma's like. Good thing she got saved as a kid. That's just a reminder of the importance of, of uh, saving kids young. Uh, Southern Baptist Church in Colorado. Um, so there's some of the things he went with. Um, I think this one, um, we, we think at times, what, what do people think about disagreement? Like it's, it's said all the time, like if you disagree with someone, it's almost like you hate them, you're scared of them, or you, you know, you don't know what to. You're like, I, I'm, I'm terrified of you, or I hate you. Biblically, Christians, I can disagree and disagree strongly with someone, but it does not mean that I hate them. I can disagree strongly with how you parent, what you do with your money. We could even talk from Scripture, and I could say, Hey, I really disagree with this, or I think, you know, this is what the Bible says. But it doesn't mean that I hate someone. 
But kind of in our world today, if you say, I disagree with your lifestyle, I disagree with something that you're doing, I think it's biblically wrong. God says he disagrees with it. Oh, you hate me. That's really an unusual... Historically, things haven't always been like that. I think things kind of ebb and flow in philosophy, but disagreeing with someone, I might disagree with you know whomever in here about something. It doesn't mean that I hate you, um, but our world is kind of that way. And I would also say this, is discipline a bad thing? No. What's that? No. No. The term formative discipline, anybody? If Tim was in here, I was going to make him give us a treatise on it. I don't have a treatise on it, but the idea of formative discipline is something that you do as a parent and possibly as a grandparent every day. I mean, when, when the orthodontist puts braces on your teeth, that's formative discipline for your teeth. He's guiding your teeth, and it's better for you. Now, when I had braces and the palate expander, and they crank that thing every day, and you'd get a Cheerio stuck behind there, oh, nobody <laughs> likes that. But, I mean, that, that was making things better, making my bite better. So as I aged, my teeth would be better. And, you know, parenting has gone some goofy directions in our modern times. But if you don't do formative discipline, what kind of kids are you going to put forth? Kids that no one wants to be around. I ran a day camp in the YMCA for, for a few years. And I like kids and I like sports. I was a sports director at a YMCA in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. And I, I enjoy kids. I enjoy sports. We take them... You know, we teach them how to do different things. Do, you know, we bring horses in and do all that kind of stuff. But uh, being around kids that nobody ever tells them no, it's not very fun. And uh, if we had a God that said, you do whatever you want and have fun because that's how I'm going to show love, what kind of love is that? We, we understand, and my friend understood, and he'd heard sermons from Hebrews chapter 12. The Lord chastens those he loves. But when we're in the chastening, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel that way. You know, being told yes a lot of times feels nicer than being told no. But uh, what kind of loving God would that be? So um, we're going to look today at the purpose of church discipline, the steps of church discipline, um, some for which sins. And I'd like to talk about that a little bit and get some input from you there. Um, what if this will wreck my ministry and then maybe some where the rubber meets the road kind of things with, with church discipline. So the big, the big purpose of church discipline um, is, is restoration. Uh, I just, we want to, and again, many of you are very comfortable with this and have, have quite a bit of training in it, but the purpose of church discipline is reconciliation and restoration. It's not winning. It's not... Uh, the pastor's getting their way. It's not, um, it's not keeping little problems within a family from not happening. I know I, I was approached one time to help with church discipline, and it was a, a mom who was annoyed with it. This is years ago, but I was a mom who was annoyed with her adult son. She thought some church discipline might scare him straight a little bit. But it wasn't an issue that, that, that warranted church discipline. I mean, it, it might have helped their Thanksgiving meals be more fun, but it, but it wasn't a church discipline thing. So it isn't just to fix a, a problem necessarily between, between uh, families. Uh, it's not to make everyone happy. Um, it's not to keep a church a certain size. Because if you talk with pastors, some will say, hey, we stayed firm with church discipline and God and his goodness grew our church during that time. There's others that will say, we 
biblically did church discipline and a bunch of people left the church and their friends left the church and their relatives left the church and our church is a third smaller than it used to be. So there's no promises on any of that, but there is, there is the main, main purpose of, of restoration and reconciliation. So we want uh, restoration, the offender, to have a right heart and right behavior. We want to have reconciliation between the sinner and God primarily but also between the offender and the one offended. So we're going to look at a few passages here. And um, Jason, I might just have you read some of these. And um, maybe if you have any, any thoughts from them. So um, just we're going to look at more detail at Matthew 18. But if you want to just read the first, uh, the first verse, just read verse 15 for us, Jason. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So we'll just stop there. That's a huge phrase right there. You have gained your brother. If you've ever been involved in a church discipline situation and you have someone, we would hope that 80% of the time, 90% of the time, 95% of the time maybe, you would have a circumstance where you know, Ron Hall is in sin and nobody else knows about it or he's offended me or he's done something a serious offense. He's sinned. I shouldn't say offended me. He's done a serious offense in the church. And I go talk to Ron and I say, I love your brother. I don't tell anybody else. I say, I love your brother. But this, we've got a holy God. What, what are we doing here? What are we thinking? And Ron maybe repents then, maybe the next day, maybe the next week says, hey, he repents to a holy God. He apologizes to me. We go away. Nobody else in this room even knows. Awesome. If you've ever been part where it gets to the third slash fourth stage, um, there's a lot of ugly a lot of times getting to that point. And that, that phrase there, you have gained your brother. If you've been part of that, you hear that and you say, oh, work that way, Holy Father. Um, and, and I would say this too, the idea and I should say it's bigger than that, the truth that brothers and sisters in Christ are brothers and sisters in Christ is a much bigger deal than gets credence in modern Christianity. I mean, there's really thrown about like, hey, brother, but like, hey, bro, that you'd say to the 200 different guys where you work. There's a serious thing to say, you know, Faulkner over there is my brother in Christ, and he would give up something for me, and I would give up something for him because I care for that guy. Uh, Jeff Cotiller shared with a teen camping trip, he said, uh, told those teens, hey, I don't have any family close by here, but I've got family right here in this church. I've got family right here around this campfire. That was really good for those teens to hear, and it's true. So gaining the brother. Uh, next one, Jason, you can read this one as well. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That last phrase is big. Uh, we can think, man, I'd never do that. Can you believe he's doing, she's doing? Take heed, watch, watch, watch. I just talked with someone about that yesterday for a while. Man, you've got to watch. You can't think, ah, I, I, I'll be the strong one, and these two, they're, watch. We could fall too. And not to think, oh, look, I've got a lot of strength. I'm good here. Restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I think another one that can happen is people can be, let's say Jason and I are involved with a church discipline situation, 
And uh, Ron, do you mind if we keep using you? You're, you know, you're just there. You know, it's a bright shirt. And you know, I've approached him with one, and he says, "Get out of my face." Maybe he says, "Oh yeah, who do you think you are?" You know, maybe clean your own closet, buddy. And you know, and I, oh, man, this is sick. okay. So I get Jason involved. We pray about it. We beseech God. We go and talk again, and Ron says, "You're worse than Gunderson. Get out of here." You know, I've seen your wife and children, uh, Madeline. <laughs> Who would raise a child like her? And you think, and you think. I remember my dad. I'm not good at being recorded. This shouldn't happen. Uh, I remember my dad being involved in a situation one time when he's a young, not a, he, he'd been a believer for about ten years, and there was a church situation. He was involved with it, and he really wanted to do what was right. And he said the pastor said, "How dare you talk to me?" And it was it was ugly, and the pastor ended up having to be asked to leave the church, and it was terrible. And my dad was like, oh, this is just, this is the worst thing ever. I, I want to just leave the church, but I need to do what's right. And it was unanimous among deacons. It was, it was terrible. And I remember my, my dad saying, this guy said, oh, yeah, Gunderson, your kids. And dad said, I found myself, I crawled across the, across the table, and I was reaching for him. And I, I stopped myself, and I said, what am I doing? And I, I wouldn't want my dad reaching across the table at me. I will, I will very clearly tell you that. But we can get our emotions in there, can't we? We go, we, we have a right goal. We want, please, Lord, please, Lord, we want Ron Harl to repent and turn to you. And you get in a meeting, and it gets ugly. And how's your spirit of gentleness doing? And how's your own heart of, I need to watch myself? There is a lot in here. Yes, we want to restore this one. Yes, yes, yes. But we also need to watch our hearts, watch our hearts the entire time. Another last one from James. Jason. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Oh, that is powerful. So when you are contemplating church discipline and you're saying, this is so hard, and this is something that I would not want to choose to do, when you're saying, oh, Lord, why me? Why? Why do I need to get involved with this? I would like someone else just to take care of it, or, or whatever the circumstance might be. This is eternal, eternal stuff that's happening there. And so rather than shrinking back, we need to say, I will, I will beseech my Heavenly Father even more, and yes, I will get involved, because this man's eternal soul is at stake. Um, there's a quote from Allison from the book that you guys have, and I thought this was really powerful. He says, church discipline is an anticipation of the future judgment that awaits sinful members if they persist in their sin. I'm going to read that one more time. Church discipline is an anticipation of the future judgment that awaits sinful members if they persist in their sin. So what we're saying when we do church discipline is you have an eternal punishment coming. And by the grace of God, he has enabled a way that you can prayerfully be awakened from your sin and not await a future, eternal, forever judgment from a holy God. So that's, a, that's a big one right there. So the purpose, restoration and reconciliation. And anytime you're involved with church discipline, remind yourself of that over and over and over. It's not to win. It's not to fix someone. It's not to be right. It's not to make things pretty in your church. It's with the goal of reconciliation and restoration. And it's also to keep sin from other believers. Um, why don't you turn together to 1 Corinthians 5, 
Just let's turn our Bibles together. First uh, Corinthians five. We could look at at several uh, verses here. Um, Derek, could you read? Would you mind reading all twelve verses of that section? I know it's kind of long, um, but let's. We don't need to have a lot of commentary. But just just think, keeping sin from other believers and purity of the church, uh, his bride. Why don't you read that for us? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of, of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of, of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, uh, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the, festi the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but, uh, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral in the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would have to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister if he is guilty of sexual immorality or, or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those, is it not those inside the church whom we are to judge? God judges, um, God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Thank you. So, so why might this church have said, we're not going to do anything about this situation? What would be some issues you might you might think of? It's an absolute mess. Yeah. I mean, yeah. How do you touch it? How do you deal with it? You can make a scenario really easy. This guy is the one of the main givers in the church, and and now, yeah, it's, he has the largest family in the church, and I mean, just it's an absolute mess. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What do you think? The church does nothing. That means it's accepted. Wait. Say that again. The church does nothing. That means it's. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All calls them arrogant. Okay. Yeah. I, have. I was going to say that because of arrogant. I think that they thought it was um, progressive to be tolerant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he, he says in Romans, hey, sh should we go on sinning that grace may abound? Yeah. And we want to be people that are, are big into grace, right? We do. We do. You know, probably 
I don't know this, but I'm guessing Heritage Baptist Church has a bit of a reputation in Owensboro of maybe even being a little bit legalistic, of maybe being a little hard on, on strict kind of stuff. I know I was, I was working with another church on something, and there was, a, there was a person who claimed to be a believer that was clearly in sin that used to be a part of our church. And I don't know much of the situation. It was long before I was here. I really don't know what's going on. And this person who was connected to another church in town was like, well, I'm glad they're not going to your church anymore because you guys basically, you guys would be cranky about something like that. But we, we love the sinner and hate the sin. We love the sinner. We hate the sin. But the day that we be okay, are okay with our own personal sin, the day that we're okay with group, then we are this. And I think churches all over America would say, well, we wouldn't let this, 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 must, this is incest. We wouldn't allow that. But oh, the temptation to say, I don't know what else to do. Oh, this, this, this sin or that sin, this is kind of normal in our society. If we kicked out everybody that did this sin, what would happen? I know there was a, a big church in Colorado and it was a very big church. And they said, you know, they didn't know who was married, who wasn't married. They, they didn't believe in membership and they didn't do any kind of like small group kind of things. It was just a humongous church and um, the pastor did some blogging it was actually some good stuff where he was kind of saying I'm guessing half the people that are 30 years of age and under in this that go to this church here are living together or you know or you know just boyfriend girlfriend sleeping together and he said I know that biblically that's not right but the reality of our society what are you going to do and how would we even know who's in sin and who is not in sin and he kind of worked his way through and then they actually had they had some Sundays where they would have, if, if, if you're living together and would like to get married, you can get married. And so he was, I would say, so, so they're here and he's saying, I, I know we need to be over by that Pepsi machine. And so like, here's some little options. And I heard that and I thought, there's such a brokenness. I'm not saying every huge church is in sin, but if it's such a big church that the pastors say, how would we ever know Who's in sin? Because how are you going to know if people are married, not married, have no... What are you doing there? You basically just have this huge conglomeration of people. Derek, you have a thought there? Yeah. In order to have what he's talking about, you've got to have church membership or you already missed the boat. You can't discipline somebody out of something they're not in. Yeah, yeah. There's no distinction. Yeah, yeah. And David? I think it also indicates the pastor is not really a pastor. You do, or he's pastoring, let's say he's pastoring 473 people, but there's 20,000. Yeah, you can't do it. Yeah. 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 It might not even be a lack of leadership so much as a system that is virtually unleadable. I, I, I think it would be so if, if, if Keith. Withrow and I were a pastor of a 20,000 person church. I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, with our gifting, it would be impossible. <laughs> but I'm going to say, I think it would be virtually impossible to really shepherd. How, how does that even happen? You could say, okay, we could go back to Moses, we could break people down, and we could do all. That's pretty tough to do. I, I've been part of a 2,000 person church, and it was a really godly pastor. And I went to every service, and they had a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. I, I went to everything. And the guy, none of the pastors ever pastored me because they didn't. 
Now, I was only there a year until we went to a smaller church and we were helped out and led in that church. Really tough to lead that kind of group of people. And I think in our modern society, and I guess I'm leaving our topic a little bit, I think our modern society of bigger is cooler and bigger is cooler and bigger is cooler, pretty tough to shepherd in a ginormous church. Derek, do you have any thoughts there? Just one more, just one more thought. Yeah. So I know we don't want to say like a big church is sin because there's not the, the Bible verse that says if you have this many people then it's sin. But if what we're doing um, makes it impossible for us to obey other commands in the Bible, then I think we should feel more comfortable to say, um, yeah, there's not a direct verse, but um, if you're not if you're if you're not able to accomplish what First Timothy and Second Timothy and Titus tell you to go as a pastor, then something's definitely wrong. It's right, wrong. right. I, I would agree with that. And how large was the church you were part of in Louisville? Uh, like seven hundred. And, and I would have I would have friends from college that would say there is no way a church of seven hundred could be biblical. It's too big to shepherd. Do you feel like it was biblical? church you were at. I've heard good things about that church, but I've uh, never been there. Yeah, I mean, that's a big question. Yes. Okay. It just depends on if you think the New Testament is prescriptive for the way you do church and not just what the church believes. Okay. Were you shepherded to some degree there? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, I do think it's a challenge. I know... We had 20 elders, though. Yeah. Oh, did you really? We had five staff elders and like 15... Okay. Okay, okay. There was plurality and parity. Yeah, good. That is one of the things that certainly helps when we're talking about church discipline. If you have a like-minded eldership and leadership, that's a really important thing. If you have shepherds that are really shepherding, that's a big thing. Because let's say, if we go back to Ron, who can just whoop on him this whole time. If Ron's been in sin for 20 years, and I, I'm chatting with him, and all of a sudden I find out, wait, Ron's been robbing banks for 20 years, and no, nobody knew. Whoa, 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 whoa. What? We, uh, well, a person over here knew, two people over here. I, I didn't know. That happens all the time in churches. That happens sometimes here at Heritage. I mean, I'm not robbing banks. But I will tell you. Settle, yeah. Check your wallets, people. That can happen in any church. Um, and I will tell you, I've been in churches where I am close with people, I've been in churches where I would ask about people's souls, and you find out two years later, they've been delving in this sin that entire time, and I never knew, and I sought to sh shepherd them. But it can also happen that people slip through the cracks, and it happens, and it happens, and it happens. And it's a warning to pastors as we shepherd, but it's a warning to individuals in the church. We're all part of the body. Uh, a hand needs to be saying to a foot, are we looking to Christ? Are we looking to Christ? Are we looking to Christ? So we're going to jump. Um, actually, uh, Madeline, why don't you read that really quickly? This talks about purity of the church, and then we'll, we'll move on to the steps of church discipline. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Thank you, Madeline. Purity, purity, purity. So uh, we'll just um, look at this a little bit. So the steps of um, church discipline, if you can turn 
Actually, let me just get that off. Why don't we just turn to Matthew 18? Um, that way I can have a blank. Actually, I have no more slides. Madeline, can you just turn that thing off? Thanks. Those Houstons, I just assume they're good at technology. You just ask them anything. So Matthew 18, and, and what would the steps be of church discipline? Uh, Madeline, just read that for us, and, um, and we'll, we'll write them on here. So read uh, 18, what, what are the verses on that? 15 through 17, maybe? We'll start with that. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by evidence of one or but of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, um, me to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, thank you. So, uh, start off the confrontation with one-on-one. -on -one. We talked right at the very, very beginning. One-on-one -on -one really means one-on-one. -on -one. It doesn't mean Madeline sins against me. Uh, it's something that should not be overlooked. I need to confront her. It doesn't mean that I talk to all the kids in the youth group and my cousin in Albania and everybody else, and then I go and deal with her. One-on-one -on -one really means one-on-one. -on -one. Should be very prayerfully too. Am I just, you know, what does it say in Proverbs 19? It's a, it's a glory to overlook a fault or overlook an offense. And that's a big deal. Because sometimes in the heat of the battle, you can feel like, oh, Madeline did me wrong, or she said this, or there's a kid situation, or something in church, and you can get up to here, take some time, examine our own hearts. These are a big deal. It's a big deal to say, I stand before a holy God, we stand before a holy God. You sinned against me, okay? But one-on-one -on -one really means one-on-one. -on -one. The goal there being they repent, they, they restore the relationship with you and the relationship with God, and they move on their way. And, and I think the goal would be, if this is done lovingly, gently, the spirit of restoration, that 90% of the time it's done there. Um, and the next one that you read, Madeline, was, was what? What kind of group are we talking here? 10, 20, 30? Okay, you got two or three on one. And that ratchets things up a little bit. If uh, two or three of you came and said, uh, hey, Gunderson, we're going to talk in the kitchen. we got a problem. You know, it, it does feel a little different than if just Lester comes and says, hey, Thad, I want to talk with you. And they should be feeling that pressure. Um, they should be feeling that godly people are serious about this. Um, be really careful with this one because if you've ever been involved in a church discipline thing and someone's, and Madeline says, hey, Pastor Thad, you and I might have a problem, but why is Derek in on this? Why is Joe in on this? How would they even know? So, I mean, you have to treat this very, very carefully. With a lot of wisdom, not making a rush of it, but also not going too slowly. Um, if the person still does not repent, then what do we have, Madeline? Take it before the church. My pen is leaving me. Take it before the church. And then the church is going to go out and reach out to them. And the church is going to say, Madeline, we love you. We're praying for you. Madeline, you know, where is Christ in this? Madeline, please, are you thinking about this? Madeline still says, I don't want to. Oh, sorry. It's rough. It's rough being in the youth group. <laughs> I got tired of I got tired of Ron. See, Ron left. There was water running down his face. I don't know. Uh, um, 
Okay, okay. Derek, did you have a thought there? Please, please. Yeah. What do we do with the two or three witnesses part? Like that aspect of it, because like in your illustration, like they're like, what does he do with you? He doesn't even know. Yeah. Like, I think some of that is depending on the circumstance. So some people, if it, if this is you know in Matthew 18, um, you have an individual sinning against another individual, and so it really obviously and and primarily you want it to be the people that are just involved. I think, I mean, if you type the idea of of, of a martyr of a witness. I think there's clearly a time when you can get people involved. And so, you know, it could be uh, Madeline's got a history of anger and Madeline, you know, punched me on the side of the head or what, you know, whatever the circumstances is. And, and I, get, I get Jason involved with it. I think there is a place and a time for getting others involved. I think oftentimes we'll talk about the scope of church discipline. I think in the scope of church discipline, oftentimes it's outward moral sins. We'll look through a little list of that there. Oftentimes, at that point, it's stuff that other people might be aware of. You know, I don't even want to speculate on sins. We've got Madeline here. But it's something that other people are aware of. Have you dealt with that? Oh, Jason, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, you might think of the term witness here in Matthew 18 as being a witness to the sin. But it might be that the witness is a witness to the advanced confrontation. Okay. So there could be a third party there who may be Sure. That's true. I think it's also to establish the accusation. Right. Yeah, it's it's so that the the one being accused knows that it's not just a difference in opinion between two brothers. Yeah, this is this is more clarity on the confrontation or accusation that you actually did do something wrong and you sinned against me. Right, and it's certainly not one person or the two or three badgering this person. No, we're still in the discussion happens. stages. This isn't you are you know. You're about to be hung, and we're just going to finish you off right here. David, you had a thought? Yeah, the other thing, too, is if you go with another witness, then it's it's showing, it gives the other person a chance to counter if there was something, or maybe they don't feel they did anything. Yeah. It gives them another person to hear the story. Right. You know, they get both sides of the story. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So you get more wisdom out of that. Yeah. And, and that's another one. Um, you just have to be so careful because a tendency is even for godly people to say, this is so hard. I can't imagine I have to confront Madeline. Oh, so I'm just going to tell my prayer warrior friends. Usually we want prayer warrior friends, but on this, you've got to be so careful because it, it, it can go all kinds of crazy spots. I know I was a, uh, a deacon at um, Bible Baptist Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. And um, there was a person who legitimately was on the receiving end of church discipline. And um, I knew nothing of the circumstance. But the, the, past, then the pastor was really the only one that knew, but he had to get, so he got, and it was a small church, so he got the deacons involved. And we had to go, so we were, and we would have had no idea of this circumstance, but he knew because he'd been counseling this couple and then the husband, this and that. But just caution, 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 okay? And then you take it before the church again, um, and this would be the excommunication, and they're being told, you are no longer recognized as a believer. You are no longer allowed to partake of the Lord's table. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10 actually references that. We go on to 11, and we talk about the Lord's table. 
Um, and we are going to treat you as an outsider, as an unbeliever. We are going to share the gospel with you. Um, now, I will say in, in our church, we have some unique. I've never been in a church where someone was excommunicated and they kept coming to the church. And I've, I've been a serious part of probably five churches in my life, and I've never had that. Here at Heritage, you have had that. And so there was actually, there's been people in the church here that I have gone up and thought, hey, here's my brother in Christ, and we're buds, and but we, we weren't brothers in Christ. And, and actually someone else had to lovingly say, hey, you know, I'm not making a big deal about this, but actually this person is, is outside of the fellowship of the church, but they want to come, and, they, and, and if they come and they want to hear the gospel, praise the Lord for that. So when you see them, what do you do? So, yeah, you welcome them as a stranger and you point them to Christ and share the gospel. And, and I, I think many of us have done that with people even you know, here at Heritage, and we will continue to do so. And we have prayed, Lord, have mercy on his soul. Lord, draw him to yourself. I pray give, give this person no rest until they submit to your rule and reign in their life. And I will say, for many of us, we, we pray for and look for and ask for opportunities to share the gospel. So here's some that we can share the gospel with. And so, like, uh, well, at the, at the memorial on that for Pastor Ted, I had to talk to this person for like an hour. And, and dozens of other people have talked to them. We talked for an hour about submitting to Jesus. And, and I hope to do that again. And I hope every time he hears a, a sermon that... He's hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, let's see, what do I need to see here? Oh, a, a couple things that I had just in my notes. Um, you know, in 1 Timothy 1, it says, hey, with Hymenaeus and Alexander, we're going to hand over to Satan for what purpose? So they learn not to blaspheme. Uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15, have nothing to do, this is a sinful circumstance, have nothing to do that he may be ashamed do not look as an enemy, but warn as a brother. So you're warning and saying, hey, you need to be terrified to fall into the hands of the living God. And then, and then here's a question. I'm just going to read off this list, and then I want to hear your thoughts on it. So who is a recipient of church discipline? If you read books, different people have different lists, and some people say it's only outward sin. Some people say, well, in Scripture, it's only sexual sin. Um, here's a list that I came up with, but I want to hear if you have any in addition to this. Uh, Matthew 18 is personal sin against another person. Romans 16, 17, and Titus 3 um, both talk about divisiveness. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about immorality. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10 is talking about laziness and a refusal to work. 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 through 15. Uh, Paul says disobeying his letters. 1 Timothy 1.20 is blasphemy. 2 John verses 10 and 11 is teaching heresy. Um, and, and I put, I think it's important in church discipline, so I want to think if you, if you have anything to add to that. Um, got some nice pens right um, I would say this. Oftentimes, not always, it'd be publicly known um, or outward, but not always. Matthew 18, 
is not publicly known. Um, I put this shown over time. If, uh, if you don't have a job for a week, none of us are going to say, eh, we're going to get him, right? But if someone shows a pattern of not providing for their family, and we know there's all kinds of other circumstances, so we're not speaking to every circumstance. But if a person has a pattern of not providing for his, his family, the Bible says, you know, it's worse than being an infidel and something needs to happen here. So this is manifested over time. Um, and the third one would be um, bringing reproach to the church. Um, and that's not necessarily just the local church. Um, that would be the bride of Christ. You know, the verse that Madeline read from Ephesians pushes to that. Um, what are your What are your thoughts of of some that I of the list that I wrote off? Anything you would add to that? Maybe some of you, either pastors or others, who have dealt with church church discipline situations, you would say, "Well, I think you missed this one or that one in that list that I read off." Yeah, I mean, believing or following heresy would be the same thing. You'd be showing to be not to be a believer. That would obviously be another one. Very good. Any any other ones you have dealt with? Or feel like we're missing? So um, let's go on to this. So where the rubber meets the road or uh, this will wreck my ministry. So I had a pastor friend tell me, hey, um, I understand. And, and this guy graduated from Southern Seminary, loves the Lord, good guy. He said, if I did church discipline, I would lose my church and I'd be done. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he said, there's more going on than that. How would you counsel someone that, with, that has never done it? 90% of the Southern Baptist churches in this area probably have never done church discipline. We even talked in our pastor's fellowship uh, that Pastor Ted led that we continued on with. And it was last fall, I can't remember when, but the topic was church discipline. Or maybe it was last year, I can't remember. I, don't go, I didn't go to very many of them. But of that group, I wish Mark was here because he would he could. And that's a pretty conservative group that many of them are at least somewhat positive to the doctrines of grace or at least not so offended they wouldn't fellowship with us. I'm not sure maybe one or two churches of the 20 represented had ever done church discipline. Yeah. And these would like be the more conservative churches in our area. So I'm going to say 90% of churches, Southern Baptist churches, and these would be uh, generally pretty good churches have even gotten involved. So how would you counsel a pastor that said, I can't do it. My church would disappear. You're either not a pastor or it's not a church. But either way, uh, I like that. That's you might have you repented of not following the commands of Scripture sure. regarding this. Sure. Are you repentant? Yeah. And now maybe we just start step one. Sure. So would you be willing? So uh, Keith Withrow, did you did your church do church discipline? The church that you pastored when you were a, a young pup had they would had they done church discipline or were they at least they're willing to do it? Prior to you being there, no. If you was that a typical Southern Baptist church, and that so many people were related to each other and that kind of thing, 
Yes. Yes. Southern Baptists in general, <clears throat> you have 100 coming, or uh, you know, 200 members and 50 coming. So you got homemongers and people selling pornography and people living together and drunkards. I mean, in just every, nearly every case, that's pretty normal. Okay. So once you start, you know, it's it's quite the challenge. Yeah. Yeah. If you went to that a church like that now. Would you attempt to clean it up, or would you let them know before you came, hey, this is gonna, there's going to be a tornado when, it, when I show up here? What are your thoughts? Well, I attempted to clean it up, and I got some phone calls, and uh, you know, when we went through the role, we'll begin to really think through what it meant to be a part of a church. <laughs> I mean, people that hadn't gone for years, for some odd reason, wanted their name on that role. Uh, so it was, it was a challenge, and I had many, many of my pastor friends say, brother, you're, you're going to open a hornet's nest, and you know basically they were right. But you had to open it if you yeah. were going to get anywhere. Yeah. And uh, a deacon's son selling pornography, and everybody that knows it. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. That's tough. But I will say, most don't. And this is even within. So I'm going to tell you at that pastors' fellowship. And again, there's some good brothers there. Most don't do it, and they and a few even of some. We're like, do you really, do you really do that? Do you really do church discipline? Which really surprised me because the church I grew up in, nobody liked it, but it was something that happened a few times. Our church that I grew up in was smaller than Heritage, maybe 125 people, but really did it. So um, where the rubber meets the road. So I have three questions. What if people freak out? What if people? What if you don't know what to do or can't figure out what's going on? What if they leave the church, or what if they move in the midst of it? So I would just say this. It's been a rare circumstance that I've involved with church discipline where people didn't freak out to some degree. Um, because here's what we like to think. If we're biblical, and if we do things in a biblical, God-honoring way, things will work out smoothly because God will honor us. And that is, that is simply not the case that things will be smooth. Um, because here's what you're saying. If Madeline will continue to be our example, she hasn't left us, so I can continue to, to use her. If you go through the steps of church discipline to excommunication, what are you saying? Is that person a believer? Probably. No, probably not. You are saying to them, we stand before God, and we are that binding and loosing that's connected to that that is saying, what we're deciding here represents God, and God is listening to that. Um, God is is backing up what we're saying. You are not of the faith. The things you are doing are showing that you are not of the faith. So if someone has been faking their salvation or flaunting their sin in the face of God, I was listening to an Andrew Peterson song on the way in and, said, and he was saying basically prior to Christ he was shaking his fist in God's face. If someone doing that, is it a surprise if they get really, really upset, mad, whatever? It should not be. Now, we don't want it to be because we really want God to be working here and here. And God, and God does great things, and there's stories even in this church of people being excommunicated and coming back. I think I've, I've heard at least of one. But oftentimes it's really ugly. I know um, I was involved with one where I wasn't the, in the two or three, but I was going to be involved with the... with. I wasn't in this step or this step, but I was going to be here and... When they went with they went with a one on one and it went fine. When they went with the two or three, 
The person set him up, called the cops, called the newspaper, and the pastor almost got got uh, arrested. Part of it's because he was kind of feisty, and he was like, "Religious persecution." And he said, "You're trying to get in someone else's house. You can't do that." And he had a he was kind of a he wanted he really wanted to be right there with this guy, and the and it and it was pretty pretty ugly. Um, so here's here's um, here's another one that can happen. So you say, oh, here's here's a really tough circumstance. I'm going to write a letter. Um, let's say um, a, a, a husband has left his wife. There's immorality, and and we try to meet with this person. He says, I will not meet with you. You try to you do. Eventually, a letter comes out, and Pastor Ted is famous for, and rightly so, these beautiful long theological letters. I remember he sent one to someone we were involved with church discipline a while back with, and I thought. Man, you should like frame that thing and put it on the wall. That's the best letter I've ever seen. What typically happens? The person receiving the letter finds one phrase or sentence that she feels or he feels is picking on her and twists it and does things with it and writes letters herself and does this or that. Sometimes the spouse that is supportive of, let's say, the pastors as they're working through a circumstance, the spouse changes their mind and says, well, that was a mean letter, hoping to get their other sp- their spouse back. A lot of times it's just really ugly. Um, I know my one of my professors when I was in seminary, Sam Harbin, he was a counseling professor, and he said, you will never have a counseling session that it is pr- that it is as pretty or as nice or ends as well as you would like. He said, you want to box up this little package and tie the bow and set it here. And, he- oh. and he said, it's never that way because you're peeling away layers of an onion. And you are saying, here is Christ. And you've got a forgiven sinner sharing with, let's just say, a forgiven sinner. We're still sinners. And it never is as pretty as you like. And real life church discipline is often like that. What are your thoughts? Those of you who have been involved with church discipline, what are your thoughts as far as if things get, have you seen it just beautifully? Now, not here, because I think most of us have been here and have, and have seen it work out beautifully. Not all the time, but we have. And praise God for that. Many of us have been here and seen that work out well. Have you seen it get to here and have seen it come to the point of reconciliation? Has anybody in here? I'm just curious. No? Really? By the time, every time I've been involved, by the time it gets to the church level, it got there for a reason. Yeah. Know? And and um, I mean the times I've been involved with it, yeah. it got there for a reason. And nobody wants it to get there. Nobody did. You know? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, but just the, it's just awful. And yeah. You know, you, so the last thing you can want to see happen. So of course everybody's praying and wanting it to not get there, you know. Yeah. And you're pleading, but but if it ends up there, then that's uh yeah. That's pretty on its way. Derek, have you ever seen it? You know, um, are you talking about have I seen it like go to step four and then come back and then reinvent yeah. the membership? Yeah. I think so. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I, I can't tell you the specifics. I okay. I just want to say I've been around long enough here and at other places where I've seen it maybe once, but not, not, not often. Okay. Okay. Lester? This side of heaven, we might not know the exact benefits 
of when it gets to four. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, the, the, the things that the Holy Spirit does right. inside a person who is unrepentant but are truly his, they're devastating to a person. Yeah. So this side of heaven, we, we may not know the, the fruit of obedience in this area. Yeah. But it's good to see it sometimes. Yeah. That's a good point. Because I think it's safe to presume the converted person, if you're confronting a converted person, we have the Holy Spirit as a partner yes, the whole time. Yeah. And that person, yes, is sinning. But they're also some repentance there. They're seeing their sin. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so like Lester says, it could be what the Holy Spirit is using yeah. to, uh, to restore them later. And if they're not, then hopefully the Holy Spirit is using it to yeah, yeah. My wife said you saw her not being Oh, okay, okay. Great, great. But we have to understand also that you know, the Proverbs, you know, the speak, the blow of a friend yep. is better than the kiss of a man. Yep. You know, I've been on the receiving end of the number one. As have I. It was from my brother. Okay. Christ and my brother, blood brother. Mm-hmm. And it was a blow that hit me he was confronting just blatant sin in my life. Yeah. And it brought me to, man, you're right. Yeah. And that's the Holy Spirit, and that's what we depend on in all four of these stages. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a, a student I know at Brescia, and he actually had someone come up to him and do this one-on-one, and he didn't listen. And then they had kind of the two or three, I don't know all the details, but actually at that point, when he said, you people really care for me, and I, yes, I, I'm a Christian, I, he actually came to Christ as a result of that, saying, I have been faking it. This sin that I thought, eh, who doesn't sin in these different ways? It brought him to Christ. Uh, I mean, and so I will say this, connected to Patrick, and then we probably need to go. Um It is a serious thing. If God says, this is what I prescribe, this is what I desire, this is what I expect, if we in our arrogance say, oh, but that would make it too hard, what are we doing as a church? And I'm not saying this to condemn this, these pastors that didn't do church discipline. It could be, I don't know all their circumstances. It could be that you know someone's been at the church a year, it's never happened since they've been there. I, I, I don't know, so I can't really speak to that, but I will say this. If we as believers ever get to the point where we say, I pick and choose what's in the Bible, what I follow, shut it down and go home because we have no business saying, Christian, little Christ, follower of Christ. And church discipline can be hard. I didn't like driving along and thinking, if he does hit me in the face, will I crash? Will he knock me out? I mean, the dude is a big, you know, and I thought, or will I, will, am I going to start fighting him? What are we, you know, what is going on here? Back alluding from the from the first story I told. But if we have a church that says we pick and choose what's socially and culturally normal, what do we have? Because you know what's not very socially and culturally normal? Drinking a little bit of juice and eating a little bit of bread and praying. And sticking people underwater and raising them back up out of again. And meeting together and singing and listening to one guy talk for 45 minutes about the glories of Christ. None of those are culturally normal. Actually, somewhat cultural. Some of that's culturally normal in the in the Bible Belt in this part of the South, but it's not in most of the United States, most of the places I've lived. If we go what's culturally normal and nice, we're we're a wreck. 
So, so my encouragement to you is gentle warnings and encouragement in the hopes that we never get to even have the point of fear. If we can really do a biblical, godly this, which does not happen enough, we will often not have to get to this. But when things go along, go along, go along. And I also say this. Sometimes there's all kinds of different circumstances. I remember at one time when I was part of a church and I thought, what is that pastor doing? He should be church disciplined with that, this person. Here's this circumstance and that circumstance. And I really didn't know all the circumstance. And I'll tell you, we're even, even now as, as an eldership are working through some circumstances where um, we are having a hard time figuring out all the information. I'll tell you that is one of the challenges, just as a side note, that happens sometimes with church discipline. Sometimes one person's worked with someone a whole bunch, and then if they're not around, it's hard to figure out what's going on, and people have moved on, and you're meeting with spouses, and you're trying to talk to here. And it... Keith and I, just as representatives, will tell you, even seeking to be godly, sometimes there is, I don't know what to do with this circumstance. Do we do this? And then you meet with this person, they tell you, okay, if this is true, okay, I... I'm gonna I'm gonna call you know try to talk with this relative. Okay, well he's who. Sometimes it's difficult. Oftentimes it's difficult, and we cry out to Holy God guide us, guide us, guide us, because we want that purity of the church verse that Madeline read. I want that for His bride. All right, I got we got to get out of here, Lord. Church discipline can be a very very difficult thing, but Lord, if you prescribe it, then it is what we want to do. When it, when it is warranted. Let us not be people pleasers. Let us not see people as big and you as small. But Lord, let us see your glory. Let it permeate the world. Let it permeate the universe. And Lord, whatever small part we can have of being people, being people that are truth speakers, let that be us. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, you're dismissed. There's a book. Went, went all the way around. Okay. There's a book. Um, <laughs>